Uh, would you pray with me? God, we thank you for a summer of adventures and changes, for some rest and for some work, uh, for some joys and for some grief. But whatever the last number of months have looked like, you have brought us back into this place, oriented around you. Would you find us and would we be found? Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So it felt right on Same Page Sunday to spend a minute reflecting on what we do and why we do what we do. Why do we gather in a place at a slightly inconvenient hour, one of your off mornings? Why do we show up? Why do we remember one another's names and hold one another's children and potluck and sing? What's it all about? When I ask people, you know, why are you going to church? Because a, a lot of people are going back to church. It's not just here. It's happening all over. It's kind of wild. Probably best not to talk about it. Just keep our heads down. But there's a strange thing afoot. And I've been asking people, especially people who didn't spend a lot of time in church before the old pandemic, uh, <laughs> been asking, like, why do you go to church? And I get a lot of, of different answers. Um, from some people, I, I get the sense that they want to be a part of something larger than themselves. I think we've had an awareness that uh, it's good to be a part of tradition. It's good to receive something from the past. It's good to be a part of something collective. It's good to build and create and sustain something together that will be handed off to others who come after us, something that we didn't start and something that we don't finish. Others have said, it's the community. I want to find community. And it's just not a lot of places to find community these days, if we're being honest. And most of them aren't free. So we're the cheapest option in town for seekers of community, which is fine. It's actually really, really beautiful that the church can sort of, the people that are here that are a part of this, we, we keep the fire going, and those who are seeking can just walk in off the street and take a seat around the fire and search for what they need, which, yeah, for so many people is just some community, some connection with other people who maybe aren't just like them or they wouldn't know if they didn't gather in this particular place. And for still others, it's much more personal and maybe quiet. There's a lot of people that have come to the end of themselves in different ways, for whom the last couple of years was a revealer that they couldn't manage it all on their own, that they didn't know where to turn or what to do or where to put hope when there was no hope to muster from within. And so lots of people, I think, are coming to church because they're looking for healing. They're looking for a taste of transcendence. They're looking for something that can put them together again on the inside. And um, that's certainly something beautiful about church. But I do think there is uh, one thing that I'm hearing from everyone who really seems caught in this time by a sense of being pulled into collective faith, into religion, into ritual. Uh, and it goes a little bit deeper than even those three good reasons. And so I'm gonna open up our text for this week 
We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. You are welcome. Uh, There's a number of pew Bibles. You're welcome to look it up and follow along, but you certainly don't have to. Uh, You can also just close your eyes uh, and allow yourself to hear these words, this story from the Gospel, and allow it to wash over you. This is from the Gospel according to Luke, one of the four accounts of Christ's life in the Scriptures. This is from Luke chapter 10. While they were on their way, Jesus came to a village where a woman named Martha made him welcome. She had a sister, Mary, who seated herself at the Lord's feet and stayed there listening to his words. Now Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to get on with the work by myself? Tell her to come and give me a hand. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are fretting and fussing about so many things. Only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen what is best. It shall not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Now, normally in a sermon on a Sunday, reading a text like that, I'd feel the need to launch into a bunch of contextual descriptors because I can feel that for some of us hearing a story like that, it's like, well, come on, Jesus. Like, Martha's doing all this work. Like, send every, you know, get the men in the kitchen for once. You know, like you just have that feeling of like, if there's no food, someone's going to be upset, so someone's got to do the work, and like, come on, Martha, can't you get, you know, and there's, there's a, a good deal, there's a good deal of satisfying answers to the kind of guttural response that the modern mind has to a story like this. Questions around what it means to sit at someone's feet, to be a disciple, a space that women were not always welcome to have, especially around men. Uh, there's a story and a context to be had about Maybe the expectations that we put on ourselves when someone comes into our space to host, to entertain, not just because it's good, but also because it feels good, and also because it's nice when people think you're a good host. There's all sorts of nuances we could pull out in this text to maybe appease any of the anxieties that might be surfaced. Uh, But I'm just going to let you do your own homework on that, because at this point you've all got chat GPT, and you can just be like, feminist interpretation of Luke 10. Boom, there it is. Like, you got it. Uh, And it's good, and it's true, and it's very important. But because we only have about 10 minutes, I just want to focus in on what everyone who meditates on this text long enough eventually comes to. And this has been shared by men and women through the ages and very recently, which is the observation that what What Mary is doing 
is giving her full attention to Jesus. That's what she's doing. And in life, we can only ever choose to do one thing. Like, by being here, you're not in bed. Apologies. And you're not at brunch, although you could go for brunch later if you have $72 spare. Um, you, could, you could go on your phone right now and stop being here in this exercise and be somewhere else. There's all sorts of ways that we can give our attention, but we can only ever give our attention to one thing at a time. We can't actually multitask. We're single-tasking creatures. And Mary has chosen, beyond anything else, expectations, responsibilities, even familial tensions, beyond all those things, she has chosen to take a low posture and to give her full attention to Christ and his words. And Christ says that this is the better way. This is the good portion to give our full attention to God. And so there are many important things that we do as a church. There are many valuable reasons to participate in this kind of congregation, to be here on a Sunday. But maybe there's nothing, and I think taking the kind of biblical witness, there is nothing that we are doing here that is more important than the single point of coming together to worship God. To give our attention to this candle, this table, to the scriptures, to give our attention not to the person speaking or the musicians playing, not to the friend that's waving to you, although you should give them a moment's attention, that's fine, but to ultimately know that everything we're doing here is to come to a single point, and that single point isn't you, and it isn't me, and it isn't an opinion, and it isn't an ideology, it isn't even a religion that we are coming to attend to. We're not here to be the church. We're here to worship God. That's it. And worship's like an old word and nobody knows really what it means. It just means to give worth. We're here to give worth to God. And the, the way that we give things worth is attention. We give them our attention, our loving, long look at this space where God meets us and everyone else here is gathering to look at some point, whether physically or internally, to give attention to God and everyone else here is then, like we're like monkeys, like massaging each other and picking off fleas from the weak just to give attention to God, to remember God. And when we remember God at the top of the mountain, it's like, the, it's like those ice you know, the snow at the top of the mountain that melts and gives life to everything else around it. And this is the beautiful mystery of church and of faith, is if you go to a place searching for community, you will actually miss community. Community is like a moving target. If you try to aim for it, you're going to miss it because it's always moving to something higher. Community is a byproduct. We come together to worship God, and we end up making some friends. How lovely is that? <laughs> and being a part of something larger than us is a byproduct. He's going to be a part of a lot of things that are larger than you, and they're not great for the world. <laughs> but when you come to worship God, you become part of this beautiful movement called the church. You become part of old spaces, old prayers, old liturgies, but it's not 
the point. The point isn't the religion. The point isn't the tradition. The point is God. And when we go to God, we get everything else. It's not even our own healing that we are seeking. If you go somewhere saying, I want to be healed, there may be a mercy given to you for healing. But I actually think the the best way to find healing is not to think about ourselves, but to think beyond ourselves, to give up our life, to give up our pains, to give up our hopes in order to seek what is above us. And when we do that, all on its own, healing begins to occur. Any one of these good things, if given our attention, will ultimately fail us. But when we give our full attention to God and the worship and seeking of God, all these other things are given to us as well. Now, this is not new information, probably for any of you. Uh, It's not new information for me, although I forget it often and have forgotten it. When I was 17, I went to a youth group for the first time, and... uh, I wasn't there to date, I should clarify. But like there's, you know, cuties. And there was that sense, you know, you're at youth group and, and you're 17, you, you know, you want to date someone. You're starting to think about like, maybe I want to, you know, like look to the future and start trying to get serious in a relationship. And maybe life's going to like, you know, and I got married at 20, so it worked. Wow. I mean, just young, but like, you know, you have that sense that you're ready to take this next step and it might take some time. And so you start asking people for real advice. How do you date well? How do I date well? And I remember asking my youth pastor, and he gave me like such simple advice, but it really did help. He said, if you aim to date someone, you'll miss it because the person that you're pursuing will always be going on their own journey. They're not sitting around waiting for you to complete them. They're doing their own thing. And so he said, the best thing you can do is seek God, like the top of a mountain. Find your way up towards God. Keep pursuing God. And as you do that, you may collide with someone else who's heading in that same direction. And if you run into somebody else on that journey, you could join up. But it's no longer about trying to only find that other person. It's about trying to pursue what's above us. Now, when you're 17, you're only thinking about dating. But as we grow into adults, you realize that's just true about everything. The relationships that matter to us, community, desire to participate in something, healing, friendship, family, all of these things can only be found as we pursue something that is above us. I knew this when I was in grade 12, but like it's not a, it's not like a religion, it's like a relationship with God. And people said that, and at the time, I remember just being like, that's insane, like, right, it's about a relationship with the living God. That's why I go to youth group. That's why I go to church. And then a decade goes by, and you forget these simple things. But they don't stop being true. That is why we're here. That is why we're doing what we do. Okay, I'm like pretty much done. Can I just throw like one existential quote at you, and then we'll close out the sermon? Dostoevsky, some of you might be familiar with him, Russian writer, uh, very, you know, very uh, intense times in Russia writing during uh, communism. This is a line, you can ignore the big image, I I pulled it off a a YouTube video that was summarizing some of his thoughts, but I I thought this this struck me as, as why it's so valuable to do this one thing together. He writes in his book, Demons, The one essential condition of human existence 
is that man should always be able to bow down before something infinitely great. If men are deprived of the infinitely great, they will not go on living and will die of despair. Thank you, Jim. You can take that down. It's easy living in such a materialist culture and in a culture where there are so many pressing issues, like right outside our doors, right on our streets, we see the very real challenges that are facing our city. And it can be sometimes feel like it's just not enough to say that we're gathering to worship God. Like, shouldn't we be gathering to get organized? Shouldn't we be gathering to go do something? Shouldn't we be gathering to fix the problem? But I really do think that Dostoevsky and others have witnessed to this again and again in more oppressive times than these. That people do not live off bread alone. And in fact, there are many people in our city on the margins who still manage to find bread. The Catholic Church just down the street serves 600 meals a day. There are people doing the good work of feeding people's uh, bodies. And perhaps what is needed in this time is a feeding of the soul. A space and a time that we can carve out where we come together to give ourselves and fall before something that is infinitely greater than us. And maybe that will have, through this congregation and so many others worshiping God, maybe that will begin to trickle through our city, to nourish our city, to encourage and build up and resource our city, not only through the material, but also through the spiritual. I invite us to take just uh, 10 seconds or so of silence to reflect and pray and ask the Spirit if there's something in this text or in what we've been uh, discussing that needs to resonate for you at this time. <laughs>